All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan of the Manufacturers Network podcast, and I'm excited to introduce you to Kevin Johnson. Kevin is VP of Manufacturing at Birmingham Fastener. He has 25 years of experience in steel and steel products and has worked for Nucor, Fontana, Grupo, uh, Atacumpu, which I am going to let you say the correct pronunciation <laughs> in resp increasing responsibilities. In his current role, he is responsible for sales, manufacturing, engineering, maintenance, shipping, and quality. He studied metallurgical engineering at Purdue University and is the chairman of the board of the Industrial Fastener Institute and is also on the board of the A.G. Gaston Boys and Girls Club. Kevin enjoys spending time with his wife, Cindy, and their two children, Amani and Jada. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. Well, you and I had the opportunity to meet at the Industrial Fasteners Institute, and now you are in charge of that. So not only dealing with the manufacturing at your plant, but also I'm sure that you're hearing a lot of things from your members as well. So when That's it comes true. to your background, just share us a little bit about what brought you to manufacturing and kind of how you got where you're at. Okay, well... You know, I come from a, a metals family. I'm, I'm third generation. Uh, my grandfather was in aluminum. My dad was in steel and I ended up in steel as well. Uh, from that, that kindled my interest in, in metallurgical engineering. So Inland Steel uh, gave me a scholarship um, for that, attended Purdue. It was in state. And uh, from that, I went to... Uh, my first job, which is at Otakumpu, and started off in their lab and then moved up to lab supervisor, then over quality control, went over to Nucor, hired in as a, a metallurgist, and again, had a similar thing, went over quality, and then went over all manufacturing and had a, a wonderful uh, career with those guys. Went to Fontana Grupo, where I was director of operations and, and plant manager there, and um, had a great relationship with the team here at Birmingham Faster and took a, a vice president of manufacturing job with them. And it, it's been great. So getting to see all of the sides of it really helped me, uh, you know, project through through various roles of increased responsibility. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you're doing right now at Birmingham Faster that are working well for you, whether it be in the retention efforts that you're doing or what? what's some good news? What's going well? Well, I'll tell you, we really focused in on incentivizing people to try to keep them. So more walking the talk. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to give people the best job experience we can, but also we know that what goes in your pocket has a little bit to do with your happiness as well. So from that, um, in one particular area where we do our cold forming, we instituted a pay for performance plan. And this plan has just been great. Production is up about 30%. And for the people that are into numbers, uh, just to be candid, the payroll has roughly stayed the same, um, even though 
those guys are actually making more money themselves. And you say, well, how can you do that? Well, overtime has just totally disappeared in the area and the productivity there. So, you know, we basically look at what's the speed of a machine and what's the best output that it can get. Can somebody do that all the way through the day? No. So we take an arbitrary number, say 80% of that goal, and that 80% is going to pay you X amount. Now, typically that amount will virtually double what you're currently making. So, of course, we dropped their base rate when we entered them in this program, but it does probably pay them 25% more than what they were making in prior years. And they're working less hours. So, you know, to find that win-win, that's really what we've, we've looked at. We've also looked at attendance and we say, hey, if you're going to actually have perfect attendance, we get pretty handsome awards for those guys that, uh, that actually achieve that. Awesome. So when you're uh, when you were talking about the pay for performance and uh, and lowering their base to begin with, kind of tell us the process of how that worked in, because I'm sure you had some haters right off the bat saying <laughs> the man's trying to take advantage of us. And yeah. and so the implement because that's the scary part of these things is the implementation when you know when you can see the long vision. But everybody else is saying, I'm not seeing it because I'm not seeing that immediate gratification. So share a little bit about your process. Well, you hit that one on the head. Um, When you tell a guy that his base rate um, from what he was making, a guaranteed uh, number and say, hey, that drops 30 percent or or 40 percent, he's going to say, hey, what's what's going on here? And there's going to naturally always be a little bit of uh, apprehension. They're going to be, there's concern. Hey, I'm taking care of my family. So, you know, we understand that. So what we did was we took what you actually made on that plan that we we said based off your production and what you uh, were making before. And for about four or five months, we let the guy know this is what you would have made off the production bonus plan. And this is what you're actually making. Mm. So he had a a clear reference to say, hey, I'm seeing that every week I would have been better on on the new plan than just this hourly rate I was on. And, you know, it happens over time. Now, he might have a bad week. And if you just did it over a week, of course, he's going to have a sour taste in his mouth. But after three or four months, you can see clearly that you're going to be 20 percent, maybe 25 percent better. From that, most guys that really care about, you know, making money and all that stuff, they got the opportunity and it's it's worked out pretty well. I mean, at times we'll have guys say, hey, I can watch his machine while he goes and eats lunch. And so I'll try to run to where I can. You can't do that all the time, but for a 15 or 20 minute interval, you probably can. Depends on where he has you set up. So they even got creative in themselves finding ways to to stay on top of things and be productive. The other thing you'll find is that bonus system makes you be a better manager. And you say, how? If I don't give them those tools and resources that they need, they will definitely come into my office or their boss's office and say, hey, you didn't have your tools here. We need to have these tools. And you know what? I need one spare of this because I want to make sure that I'm running all the time. 
And this is feedback that you wouldn't normally get, but when you align everyone, now it makes you a better manager and makes them a better employee. There's so many good things that you just said in there. Number one, the amount of time that it wasn't just a, hey, we're changing the comp plan overnight. Here it is. And and dealing with people who are just fighting that. But you took that time, that three or four months to prove to them that this system was going to work. You're also empowering them to get creative instead of micromanaging everything. Because sometimes as as leaders, you want to make sure that everything's doing um, going well and you don't necessarily trust your employees. And it sounds like not only are you trusting them to figure out how to do their job because you're seeing the production levels going up, but now it's okay because maybe before you would have said, what do you mean you're going to watch that guy's machine while he's off eating lunch? Who do you think you are? And now you're seeing that employees are trusting you and they're buying into the process, but this is certainly not something that happens overnight. So um, just such a good reminder to people who want, who are looking for that immediate gratification. (laughs) (laughs) It won't be, um, I'll tell you one more thing. After a year of doing it, we compared their W-2s and I sat down as, you know, even though, you know, there's a manager and there's a supervisor there, I sat down with each one of those guys individually, HR put together with how many hours they work, how much they made, overtime hours, bonus, and versus what they were the year before. And I was able to sit down and show all of them, these are the differences. And look, wow. you worked this many less hours and you made this much more money, more time with your family, more time to do the things that you want to do instead of be here. And, you know, it was pretty rewarding. Now, I will always recommend that step because I did have one guy say, oh, man, I didn't realize I made this much more. You know, some guys don't look at their numbers maybe the way that they should, but it's worth investing that time. And how many employees do you have working there that you sat down with? Approximately. In this one part, probably about 25. Okay. So again, you're investing the time and being in management there, being the VP, you're seen as a different level of person. So the fact that you're sitting down with your employees and and talking to them and getting to know them and showing them the benefits, that also gives them a lot more confidence in the leadership. So that's just that that's really great uh, work that you're doing over there. Sure. Last thing too is... uh, if a machine only makes money when it's running, okay, changeovers, all that stuff, they hurt you, right? Or if it's down, if our guys actually stay with maintenance, not go and get a Snickers or a Pepsi when the machine goes down, we pay him his production bonus based off of his average if he's in there wrenching and actually fixing the machine with maintenance. That gives me two things. One, he gets a little bit more confidence. Two, he can start fixing that machine himself and will be less reliant on maintenance. So that's just another little key point that we put in there. We encourage our guys to actually learn how to fix their own machines. Wow. That's awesome. So what are, what's one thing that's keeping you up at night right now? Well, I'll tell you right now, the, uh, the thing that worries me is now we have maybe some would call a changing of the guard. We have a, a potentially new president elect. And the tariff situation is one that that worries me a lot. Um, we put tariffs in, tariffs were definitely needed. And it took a couple of years for everybody to get that in swing. 
it really was an advantage to the steel guys, but then the steel products guys, we didn't get all of the, the help um, just to balance things out with China. So from that, we finally adjusted. We pushed through price increases, trying to keep our margins. We don't, we don't look at making more. We just want to make the same. And that's right. one thing that we focus on. And we got those through. So now what happens after you make all these changes to, to survive, if that all just pulls away, then we're going to be back in another situation. And it's going to take another couple of years to adjust back. Mm. So that's the main concern for me is is uh, the tariffs. Now, I, I stay up a lot. So another thing that worries me is, you know, just finding quality people. That's been a very tough thing. The skills gap, the people that are actually interested in manufacturing, the kids that actually want to work and get their hands a little bit dirty and have that, that rugged satisfaction, that grit, a lot of them say, hey, I'd rather work at the local electronics store or mm-hmm. I want to work in a video game store. I mean, it's uh, it's slightly different. And that's been that's been tough pulling talent in. Yeah. Well, and especially since everybody's competing for the same talent. And that's why I talk about so much in my programs of just retention. Now, if you have good employees and there's so many things that we talked about that you're doing to keep employees as far as sitting down with them, giving them the opportunity to make more money, empowering them and showing them the results of their work. That's how you keep them. But you're absolutely right. We're looking at the skills gap of just being able to having to change the conversation about manufacturing to get more young people to look at it seriously as a career. And even more importantly, to get the guidance counselors at their schools and their parents to buy into the ideas as well. Absolutely. So if you were to think about uh, creating a network of manufacturers and you could think Mm -hmm. about something that uh, either questions you have or support that you would like to get from other manufacturers, what would what would one of something of that be? Well, I think uh, a lot of things right now with the, the current, you know, COVID situation, I think, one, how are people dealing with PPP loans and and uh, that should be a group discussion from how this was originally going to come out and the questions asked and now the questionnaires that the SBA are actually putting out they're two totally different things and especially with larger companies that might have had more than two million dollars in PPP loans they're subject to an audit and another thing so that would help as you mentioned employee retention is always going to be on the forefront. Um, you know, working with people, doing job fairs, where, whether it's virtual, whether it's just joining forces and working on that, those type of things would help. Different types of HR issues and situations, those would help. You have a new administration possibly coming. So now how is OSHA going to change? Um, you know, it typically gets a little bit more relaxed on the right and gets a little bit more aggressive on the left. So, you know, what can we expect? How are we going to handle COVID reporting? These right. are things that we need to stick together because you could actually give a company many recordable injuries just based off exposure that you can't prove that even happened at the workplace. So we just need to make sure that we're all working together and, you know, we have a unified voice. And that would be great to have manufacturers get together 
and share on these things. Yeah. And so from your experience, not only at Birmingham, but in the rest of your illustrious career in the metals industries, where do you feel that you would best be able to support other manufacturers or help them out with the, some of their situations? Well, I I have, uh, you know, worked with a, a lot of folks before. I think that in areas of, you know, if somebody needs help with trying to implement, implement an incentive program. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, I have a lot of feedback on that. If government affairs, tariffs, also I've had experience with the SBA and the PPP side of it. Those are just a few, but there's so many topics that, you know, manufacturers, best marking safety. That's even very important. Even though the industry can be somewhat different, there are a lot of things you might say, hey, you know, I realize that if we use this safety glass here, this one does great in this environment. And we've been using it for the last five years. I mean, we compete on a lot of things, but I'm not going to compete with anybody on safety. Anything that I do correctly, I'm going to share with you on the safety side. Awesome. Well, and I know that you're involved with, you know, not only the Industrial Fasteners Institute, but also NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers. So really encouraging people to join your local trade association, get involved with that, because learning um, on things like this podcast is going to give you a general overview of manufacturing and things that you can use in your plant that may not be in a completely different industry, but it can still work for you. But when you are in your trade association, you get to learn from your peers. And like you said, there's things that, of course, you want to keep uh, secret from a competitive point of view. But for the most part, it, there's enough work out there for everybody. And it's just really doing the job well and creating those connections. Uh, well, Kevin, we're getting to the end of our time together, and I know that uh, you know we are connected on LinkedIn. But if somebody wanted to uh, reach out to you and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? You can either also reach out to me on LinkedIn, or you can, of course, email me at kevin.johnson at behamfast.com. All righty. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and stay tuned for the next episode. And thanks, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.